Good morning. I ask all the priestly ministers in the house to open your Bible to Romans chapter 15. We'll find out about that in a minute. Paul, like I said last week, is starting to bring this letter to a close. As we have seen, this letter is the most expanded explanation of God's past, present, and future dealings with Israel in all the Bible. We also have seen that this letter gives us the, the full gospel. It is through the reading of God's word here in Romans that we can see the complete plan of God's salvation from the beginning to the end. The mystery of the church is revealed. God has and is calling his people unto himself. God has revealed himself to the world through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is calling all to come, come to him and receive salvation through Jesus. Amen. And for those who have put their trust in God, for those who are now children of God, for those who now understand salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, we're able to see in this letter that believers are to proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus in everything that we do. Everything that we do, like Chris said just a minute ago. And all of it is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, we are equipped by the teaching of the Word. Because of the Spirit, we see edifying and encouraging one another in the body of Christ. All is done by the power of the Spirit and for the glory of God. You see, like I said last week, we, we, we can't do what we don't know. That's why we study the Word, to know, to know God, to know His Word, to know His will. We can't encourage and edify each other until we learn how to humble ourselves and put others first. And we learn how to do that where? Here in the scriptures. Nowhere else tells us to do that. Here's a freebie for you. If you, ever, if you are ever in doubt about your salvation, I want you to do this. I want you to do a self-examination and take a real look at your ability to love. I want you to look at your ability to love others before salvation and after salvation. Look at your heart before and after your conversion. We talk about how change happens when the spirit comes into the heart. We talk about that a lot. And when the spirit begins to work in our hearts, there are some immediate changes that happen. That happens. Our eyes are open to truth and we immediately see things through different lenses. That happens immediately. Another immediate change is we learn how to cry. No? Listen, I didn't cry until I got saved. Nothing fazed me. It didn't matter. Then God opened my eyes to what love is. And man, it's like boo-hoo all over the place all the time. <laughs> Talking to Molly last week, she said, you know, I cry about everything all the time now. And I got saved, you know. It, it just happens. Listen, we cry because we are broken. We, we, we are able to cry because we all now see that the love of God, see the love of God that has been poured out on us. And we are now able to love in a way that we have never been able to love before. So let us look at our hearts when in doubt. Look at how we love. Look how we loved back then. And look how we love now. That, there's proof of, the, of God. There's your proof of the spirit of God living in your hearts. This is what sets us apart from who we used to be. It is how we love. So because of the Christ-like love that Paul had in his heart, 
He writes this letter to the Roman church. He is edifying and encouraging the body of Christ. Verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Elycrium. There we go. We'll stop there. I just want to prove I can say that word without getting tongue-tied. Last week, we looked at this incredible, encouraging verse that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. How, how awesome is that? You know, here we have a church that is under major persecution, just getting started, trying to be unified. A lot's going against them, but that didn't stop them. Why? Because they knew Jesus and they were doing their best to work out their salvation with, with each other. And so Paul says to them, he says, hey, listen, here's the good news. Your faith is known throughout the world. He says, I know you're full of goodness. On top of that, you guys are full of knowledge. And because of your knowledge of the word, you're able to instruct one another. You know, that would be a great mission statement for a church or, or a great goal for a church, right? Full of faith, full of knowledge full of goodness, instructing one another to the glory of God. I like that. I like that. That's good stuff. And that's why Paul was full of encouragement. He was spurring them on towards love and good deeds. So the question must be then, if the Roman church was so solid, if they had their act together, if they were preaching the word as Paul has commanded us to do many times, if they were loving one another and full of goodness, then, then why write this letter to them? Why to them? I mean, if they were such a good church, why pen the longest letter Paul has ever written to a church and send it to them? Well, Paul answers that question. So let's work our way through this text and get some answers. Verse 15, again, he says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by the way of refining. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here in verse 15, I want to point out something that Paul said. He said, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly, very boldly. The word boldly is key right here. Think about this church in Rome. They received this letter from Paul. Now, who's Paul? You know, th this is, this comes from Paul, a man who's never been a pastor there. He's not the shepherd of this flock. As a matter of fact, he's never set foot in their church. They looked at all their visitor cards. Not one was filled out by Paul. He hasn't been there. And yet he writes this letter to them with, with boldness. 
Paul didn't hold back, did he? As we can testify because of our studies, he was very bold in his writings. You know, look, Paul, Paul knew this. He knew that he was very bold in, in the way he sent this letter and where he stood with this church. But he also, you know, he, he felt that he needed to explain himself here. And that's why he wrote this in such a way. You know, Paul speaks boldly to them, yes. But, you know, we can also see that he had a deep concern for the feelings of others. He cared. And, and that's why he felt like, why he felt that he needed to explain why he wrote in such a way. You know, some, when someone speaks boldly, sometimes, you know, the love that they have for others is overlooked. You know, people can't get past that boldness that somebody has said to them. And I think Paul knew that. So he, he felt that he needed to explain. I, I couldn't help but to wonder what the people, there goes my mind again. I wonder what the people of the church thought of Paul back then. This letter coming from him. And, you know, here's a guy who was a Pharisee among Pharisees. This, this, this is a man who pursued God with external works like nobody's business. He was great at it. Then he turns his focus to the church and begins to persecute the church like nobody's business. He was the best at it. And so now what, what they have, what the church has, is a, a wandering Jew who goes around making tents, being put in prison, kicked out of town after town, suffering for Jesus, praying to Jesus. All he could talk about is God and the Messiah. And he tells everyone that Jesus is Lord and that the resurrection is to come. What did they think about this guy? After they read this letter, what did they think? What did the world think about this once respected, quote, religious man who has now become a Jewish apologist who is preaching the gospel message that is full of Jewish scripture from start to finish? I wonder what his unsaved Jewish acquaintances thought about him. Probably the same thing that all our unsaved friends think about us. He crazy. We crazy. Nothing new under the sun, right? It doesn't matter what people think about us as believers. It didn't matter to Paul. It didn't matter. He just kept running the race, kept running the race. You see, because Paul, like Pastor Jared, had had open heart surgery. God gave Paul a complete new heart, not just a vow. He gave him the whole new thing. Paul's Paul's love was changed after the Damascus Road. When he, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he knew nothing of the grace of God. He persecuted the church and sought to destroy it. But his love changed when he met Jesus on that road. He experienced the grace of God. He experienced the love of God. He understood it was God's grace. He understood it was God's love that saved him. So Paul could do a self-examination like us. He could look back at his love before his conversion on the Damascus Road, and he, compared, and he could compare it to his love afterwards. Nothing compares to biblical love. Nothing does. Paul probably cried all the time. He just didn't write about it. His love changed. He's now bold in the truth. You know, we have to be like Paul. When it comes to the things of God, we have to be bold also. We should be bold in the truth. So what does being bold for God really look like? Does that, does that mean we go around 
and yell and scream and blast people who don't know Jesus and just tell them they're a sinner and they're going to hell if they don't change and hit them with a big hard back Bible. That would be bold. Some take that approach. The, the, the one thing I would, I would point out is this. First of all, when it comes to being bold, we have to make sure we're not being bold with a critical or prideful spirit. We must come with love and a, and a broken heart for the ones who have not trusted in the shed blood of Jesus. You know, even though Paul was writing to the church, we can see that he came with love. His letter was full of love. In his boldness, he was desiring to establish personal relationships with these people. He was desiring to come to Rome and worship God with them. So being bold in crisis is not a bad thing. It is being confident in what we know is true. That's how you can be bold. If we are confident in what we know is true, then we can boldly share the truth about Jesus. It's kind of like this. If, if I was in a room of 100 people and they were all saying that Jesus Christ is a God, well, then I would boldly say, no, that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that Jesus is God. Amen. Now that would be a bold statement in a room of 100 misguided people. But that's the time to be bold. That's the time to be bold. So it's okay to be bold. Just don't be prideful and critical. But in order to be bold, hey, we must know the word of God. You have to know the word. And Paul did. He knew the scriptures. And he was able to say many bold things to the church in Rome. Not with an attitude, not out of an arrogance, but with love. And, and that's why he doesn't apologize for being bold. He doesn't do that. He just explains why he was. Look at our text again, verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Okay, so he says, all right, I was bold, but listen. It was by way of a reminder. That is, I have written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. Nothing new under the sun, right? Pastor Ryan tells us that we have to keep being told the truth because we don't stay taught. It's not easy to stay taught. I have had that problem all of my life. When I was young, I could hear my dad saying, Now, how many times have I told you? Fill in the blank. When I was young, I had a problem. Now that I'm old, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm old, I can't remember what I've been taught. I've had this problem my entire life. Staying taught. I got to stay taught. So here's what we have to do. We have to stay in the word so we will stay taught. We have to stay in the word. We need to be reminded daily, hourly for some of us of the word so that we will stay taught. Peter believed in this method. Write this verse in your margins there, 2 Peter 1 through 12. He says this, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. See that? Though you know them, Peter's going to remind you of them. He said, though you know them and are, and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter believed in the method of reminding. His desire for God's children to stay taught was amazing. And he said, look, I'll go to my grave reminding you of God's truth. Precious words. What a legacy. I go to my grave reminding you of God's truth. He said he does it again in chapter three. He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So both Paul and Peter give us the word to what? To remind us. Remind us of what? Well, to remind us of the truth and faithfulness of God. To remind us of Jesus. To remind us of the plan of salvation. To remind us who we are in Christ. And, and you know, when you keep doing that, the result is, is that we remember these things and we're able to go back to the, the scriptures. We're able to see God at work. We're able to have that peace that we always are looking for. And we can see the faithfulness of God at work. And when someone is reminded of the things of God, it should be an encouragement. We should do that all the time as an encouragement. What's the, what's the best thing to say to somebody? Man, the word of God. They're going through a tough time. You know, you just, you know, sometimes you don't say anything. You just sit and listen. But there's no words man can speak that's going to change things, but the word of God will. Should be an encouragement as we remind each other of the things of God. Paul's writing to the church. He's spurring them on. He says, I know your spiritual quality. You're awesome. Keep going. Don't forget it. Know the word. And know this. We, there's another point there. Listen, we have all we need in the word of God right here. We have everything we need. I believe in the sufficiency of scriptures right here. The scriptures are what we should be reminded of at all times. Do you, what did Paul tell Timothy to do? Tip it pretty simple. Preach the word. Preach the word. Uh, teach sound doctrine over and over and over again, reminding the people and nourishing them on it. Again, that's how the that's how the body of Christ grows spiritually. That's the goal of the church. Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, "Numerical growth is not the goal of the church. It is always fidelity to the word of God." We are to teach it, preach it over and over and over again. We need to be reminded so we will stay taught. And, and, you know, and look, look at Paul writing this letter to the Romans. You know, he's saying, I didn't tell you something that you didn't know. But he reminded them of the things they did know. That, think about it. Look, at, look back on our studies. How many times did Paul say, God is doing this, but remember what he did back here. That's, that ties to this right here. God is at work doing this, but don't forget, he said he was going to do this back there. 
He just reminded them of what they knew. They knew the Old Testament. It was not because they were ill-equipped and weak church, because they were well-equipped in a strong church. He didn't remind them because they were tossed to and fro when any teaching came around. No, they were full of knowledge, full of goodness. They were uncompromising. They were strong Christians. But with all of that, everything they had going right, they still needed to be reminded. They knew a lot. They were doing a lot. But Paul really helped them to put it all together with this letter by reminding them of what they did know. And he did it by using the scriptures they had. We saw that time and time in this letter, reference after reference to the Old Testament. So Paul didn't hesitate to remind them of some of their privileges and responsibilities, too, as he wrote this letter. He didn't remind you who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. He wrote both. As children of God, as children of God, he spoke boldly to them. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly. All right, so he speaks boldly, but also he spoke to them because he was under mandate to do so. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offerings of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, you're a good church. I spoke boldly to remind you of, of what you know so that you can put it all together. And I spoke boldly because of the grace that, that is given to me of God. In other words, Paul saying, God made me do it. He's got an out right there in case they didn't like it. He said, hey, if you're upset, don't be upset with me. <laughs> Take it to God. You know, I, I'm under orders here. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. Remember what remember who Paul said, what he says about himself in chapter one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated until the gospel of God. In verse five, he says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. You see, God graciously made him an, an apostle. So he's under mandate. He has a duty to write this letter to this church. And this is really getting to the heart of the matter here. Paul did not write this letter simply because he thought the Romans needed it. We see that. It wasn't that he just wanted to establish a relationship with them, that, that he does. But it's bigger than that. He, he wrote what he wrote the way he wrote it because he was under divine orders. This letter is more than just a personal desire. This is a, a calling of God. He says, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul is an apostle by the grace of God. Well, let's listen to what Paul says about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of apostles. There was no pride there. He says, I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Wow, can we all say that? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. God's grace is what put Paul in this position. 
And it was God's grace that kept Paul going. And because of God's grace, Paul worked hard. He didn't, it, you know, it wasn't a waste. He went, he got busy. Paul knew he didn't deserve God's love. He knew he was unworthy of it. He knew he was unworthy of being a pop, an apostle. And so when he was called, it was not in vain. He said, I'm going to go. I'm going to do anything that God tells me to go do. I'm going to go do it. This is Paul's defense of this entire letter. Yes, I was bold in my writings, but what I wrote was truth. I was unflinching in my presentation of these truths. Why? Because God has called me to be, apostle, to be an apostle and to pen these truths. Paul was qualified to remind his readers of those points because he had his special position as a result of God's grace. Paul is qualified to write them because he had allowed the special privilege of being a minister, because God had allowed him the special privilege of being a minister to the Gentiles. So let's look a little deeper into Paul's position as we read this again. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The grace that God gave Paul was that he should be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And Paul took the, his call to the minister to the Gentiles very seriously. He, he knew that's where he has to go. That's where God has told me I have to go. But, you know, knowing that, Paul never renounced his Jewish heritage, did he? Rather, he gloried in it. He, he never did it in such a way that he forgot his calling was to God's minister to the Gentiles, but he never forgot who he was. If you remember, when we looked at Paul's mission trips, mission trips, he would arrive in town, and the first thing he would do was visit the synagogue. Right? He'd go there to his brothers and sisters in, in the flesh, you could say. And then... Right there, he'd go from there, he would go out to the to the Gentiles. Because he never forgot about his Jewish heritage. But he would go to the Gentiles because that was his calling. Now here in our text, Paul refers to this service in priestly terms. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, what do we know about priests? We all know that under the new covenant, Jesus Christ is our perfect and eternal high priest. We see that in the book of Hebrews. And because of who Jesus is and what he has done, there is no longer a human earthly institution of priesthood as was under the old covenant. It doesn't exist anymore. First Timothy 2.5 tells us this. <clears throat> For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So what we have is we have the perfect sacrifice, that is Jesus. We have the true mediator, mediator between God and man, that is Jesus. And we have the one true high priest, that is Jesus. But Paul says he's called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. You see, 
Paul looked on himself as a priest at the altar, offering up to God the Gentiles he had won to Christ. They were a, quote, spiritual sacrifice to the glory of God. See, it's Paul's way of saying that he preaches the gospel to the Gentiles so that they will come to offer themselves to God to become a living sacrifice that we learned about in chapter 12. There is no longer a slain animal uh, ascending into God in the flames of a physical altar or the Roma not going up from a physical altar. Now there's a spiritual ascent to him as Gentile people offer themselves their souls and bodies as a reasonable sacrifice to God. A beautiful picture of God's salvation for man. This offering here is said to be acceptable to God. Remember this, that the Gentiles were considered to be what? Unclean. Unclean. But now they're declared clean by God. In the Old Testament, we can see that there were many sacrifices that God would not accept. There's list after list. But, but here Paul says, hey, the offering of the Gentiles is now clean. They are an acceptable sacrifice, he says. That's a big deal, grafting in the Gentiles. And, and Paul, in his beautiful writing, just wants to make sure that everyone understands that this is of God. Because Paul links this with the act of the Holy Spirit right here. Look what he says. He says, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The point Paul is making is that the Gentiles are accepted by God and are holy in the fullest sense. Something else to take notice of here in this text. Paul did not just speak of the Holy Spirit. He brought in all three persons of the Trinity here. <laughs> To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul was the minister of Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel of God, and he served by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who sanctified his ministry. So bringing in the new humanity together as one is something that is done by God Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit all in one. He's bringing it all together in one. Paul understood who he was in Christ. He understood his calling. And so we have to make sure we understand our calling. Do you know that the word tells us that all believers are priests? Under the new covenant, all believers are priests. First Peter 2, 4 says it this way. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He says, you yourselves are like living stone are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are all priests. We are, offer up, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race. Listen, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So you could say, you know, that the entire body of Christ is a, a priesthood because we don't have to go through a human mediator to reach God. We go through Jesus Christ. We go through Christ right to the Father whom we're able to have direct fellowship and communion with at any time, any time. And our priestly role is what? Watch this. Our priestly role is to bring others into God's presence. Paul sees himself in this priestly role. We just saw that. The only difference in his role and ours is that his was on a much larger scale because he was an apostle. But that does not change the fact that all of us have a priestly role to fulfill. And we should see it as a privilege. We must understand what a responsibility we have. Think about this. Our priestly duty is to be a servant to the triune God. Sharing the love of God with a lost and dying world and winning the lost souls to Jesus Christ. That's not something that we should take lightly. We must remember that soul winning is a priestly ministry, a sacred obligation. We must serve the Lord with the dedication and devotion that the priest did in the temple. Do a study at what they did and all the stuff that they prepared and how much dedication and how much devotion that they had. Go look at that. Let that sink in. We are to be as dedicated and devoted as the priests were in the temple. We have a sacred obligation. Paul viewed his ministry to the Gentiles as a priestly duty. The Greek word he used here has the meaning to work in sacred things. Paul's ministry was a sacred task because he was proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Our ministry is a sacred task because we are proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. We should cherish our calling and not take it lightly. It is an act of worship. Paul continues. He says, I'm to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have, no, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. I mentioned, you know, the sin of pride last week kind of joking about my pride issue. Good, none of y'all remembered it. Good. All right. But but here we see that our priestly calling, you know, that in our priestly calling, we need to make sure we do not get prideful. That's easy to do. That point out last week. It's very easy for it to sneak in. We we have to understand and know everything that is accomplished is done by God. Everything. Paul, the great apostle called to bring in the Gentiles, but no trust in his own flesh. We can read the third chapter of Philippians, 1 Timothy chapter 1, here in Romans 7, and we can see the wretchedness which Paul sees himself. So Paul did not think highly of himself. Because being in the light of Christ changed the heart of Paul. 
I'm sure before his conversion, he was very proud of his accomplishments. But now, after his conversion, he sees himself in the light of God. And he's like, oh, what a wretched man I am. He didn't let pride consume him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 gives us a great look at the heart of Paul. We can see how he gloried and boasted only in his weakness and in his infirmity. And he says that God accomplished things through his weakness, and he would boast in what God has accomplished. I love what Paul said about himself in 1 Timothy 1.12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because... He has judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul set a great example for us to follow. His boast was never in himself. His boast was in the cross. His boast was in salvation. He would boast in the power of God through him to win others to Christ. You see, we have to be careful how we live out our priestly services. We have to make sure we give God all the glory. When we read how Paul described himself, he's actually describing all of us. Right? Wretched people, any good that comes from us is because of God. Any good we do is because of, of the love of God that has been poured on us. Listen, pride for one is a joy killer. Pride will eventually take the air right out of any ministry that you do. You know what else pride does? This is the big one. Pride denies the Lord the glory that is due his name for what he has done. Don't miss that. Pride denies the Lord the glory that is due his name for what he has done. We have to make sure we stay humble. Humble by the fact that Christ saved us. That Christ has saved us to do good works. That God has entrusted us with the gospel and to share it with others. Think about that one. The one true holy God says, here's my word. Here's my plan of salvation. And I want you, Chris. I want you, Matt and Lisa. And I want you, Thomas. I'm looking at you, Thomas. I want you, Thomas, to take my word unto the nations. God says, here's my word. Here's my plan of salvation, and I want each and every one of you to take this word out to the nations. Is that not blow you away? Is that not humble? To think God has entrusted his word with us? 
We are all priests called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are to be faithful to God and watch God save souls. And we have our minds right. We will do what Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We will say, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, when you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is. It's the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You see, we rejoice because what we proclaim to the world is not the word of man. It's not. It's the word of God. Amen. So as we leave today, we're challenged in many ways, right? We must stay in the word of God because we do not stay taught. We must remind ourselves of the things of God constantly. We are to be bold when it comes to sharing the truth. And the only way to be bold is to know the truth and to know the word of God. We are all priests. Sharing the good news with whomever God puts in our path. It is a priestly ministry. It is a sacred obligation. We must serve the Lord with dedication and devotion. And while doing all of this, we are to stay humble. We should never deny the Lord the glory that is due him. We should never deny the Lord the glory that is due his name for what he has done. So leave here today, people. Be bold in your priestly ministry. Remind people of God. Go and boast in the cross. Go and boast in your salvation. Go and boast in the power of God. It's just like we sang earlier this morning. To God we give the glory for great things he has done. Amen? Pastor Derek.